Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degree-thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show, we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturdays, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we'd love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right, the Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you, reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week. Again, all thanks to you. And by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right. Please get out of the thought control business. Our topics du jour, as you may have heard, well, when will the FBI, the DHS, you know, Department of Homeland Security, as well as State Department, be held accountable for provably and, unconsci- and unconstitutionally censoring American social media dissent? And what the hell makes them think that they get away with it just because they're doing so through civilian entities? How does that get them off the hook? Also, Democrats are again tirelessly beating that old gun control drum after the Michigan um, State University shooter, this Anthony McRae's killing spree. But here's the thing. They're doing it despite the fact that that killing spree is directly attributable to McRae not having been prosecuted for a previous gun violation. And that's something that really undercuts the left's useless bromide, does it not? I mean, what are they going to learn? I mean, Biden and other Democrats are again beating that gun control drum despite MSU shooter Anthony McRae's killing spree being directly attributable to his not having been prosecuted for a previous gun violation, all thanks to weak, woke, Soros-based policies. That's all it's caused by. This guy's history undercuts the left's argument for more laws by proving that there were already enough of them to stop the guy had those laws been enforced. They keep using secondary tertiary measures to avoid the primary one they can't otherwise satisfy. Who needs another law that won't be enforced? We already had the laws in place to stop this guy, but we're going to create more just so that other law-abiding Americans decide to not buy guns? I'm tired of this crap. Now, the woke will eventually be put to sleep because their inverted burden of proof structure in all arguments is simply unsustainable. I mean, there's a limit to how long folks can take seriously assertions endlessly predicated on what are really just other assertions with only shaming tactics used as their validation. I mean, mostly, I think, people do eventually catch on to the difference between a genuine premise and a woke pretext pretending to be one. You see, the left's manipulation tactic is to use secondary measures of, let's say, allegedly more important morals to go ahead and supplant the primary measure of our right to choose for ourselves that which we prefer. This is a manipulative tactic. That's all it is. 
And by such a formula, manipulative authoritarians could always find a way to remove our free will. It's a formula. A recent example is when they told us that we should give up our gas stoves because, you know, a little over 12% of kids supposedly contract asthma from them. Um, The study was conducted by an environmental think tank uh, known as RMI. Uh, It was published in this uh, uh, magazine, the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. Okay. But here's the thing. They used an incomplete study as a way to justify the banning of gas stoves because they just don't like fossil fuels. So they will create, they will conjure grounds where they otherwise have none. Now, a study is a study is a study. But if you really want to go to the most comprehensive global study on the issue, that would be, as reported by the Washington Examiner, one published in 2013 by the International Study of Asthma and Allergies in Childhood, or ISAAC. ISAAC's been around for a very long time. And they utilize data from more than 512,000 kids in like 47, 48 different countries. And this study ultimately concluded that there was, quote, no evidence of an association between the use of gas as a cooking fuel and either asthma symptoms or asthma diagnosis, unquote. You know, we were warned about this crap from Aesop's fables. A tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny. And that's what they do. They can't win an argument. They can't come out straightforwardly and say, we're going to take away your First Amendment rights. But what they'll do is they'll try to leapfrog the process by creating a process that allows them to use through proxies things which they can't do directly themselves. They'll go ahead and execute through proxies, that which they can't do themselves. But what they don't realize, or maybe they do realize it, but they're trying it anyway, is that when government violates our First Amendment rights, it's guilty of violating those First Amendment rights, whether it does so directly or indirectly, whether it does it from a straight line from whatever uh, trappings of officialdom they have directly to us, or they go through an intermediary. They don't get to do that, but they try nonetheless, and we're tired of it, absolutely tired of it. I mean, at one point or another, we have to do something to accelerate the woke's death, and perhaps we can do it best by pursuing certain questions that we put to them. We need to remind folks that through regularly scheduled meetings with Twitter, pre-Musk ownership, I should point out, the CIA, the Director of National Intelligence, the CDC, the FBI, the State Department, they all had a pretty strong success rate of of censoring Americans regarding their dissent about government narratives in general and everything from the botched Afghanistan withdrawal to Biden's policy-driven border crisis, uh, COVID protocols, uh, COVID lab leak theory, uh, the position holding that natural immunity versus COVID immunity, uh, COVID vaccine immunity uh, shouldn't be taken seriously. Uh, They do the same on climate change, gun control. And, of course, who could forget the Hunter Biden laptop story, which really resulted in direct election tampering and interference. And you know what? It's this last one that we also have to never lose sight of. We can never lose sight of. But we have to wonder what can be done about the general Nazi-like tactics of censorship perpetrated by the state in true Goebbels style. How do we do that? How do we address that? How far away are we from revolting against this tyrannical, rebellious government? I mean, nobody wants this nightmare. Nobody. But these inbreds seem to be deliberately trying to trigger such a thing. Or maybe I'm seeing too much into this. I mean, just look at the Hunter Biden laptop story. In December of 2019, Delaware computer store owner, John Paul Mac Isaac, he tells the FBI that Hunter Biden dropped off his laptop and that the thing has some disturbing criminal content that they might want to look at. Now, after a few days... On December 9th, 
2019, the FBI issues a subpoena and takes Biden's laptop from John Paul MacIsaac, not realizing that the guy had the presence of mind to make copies of everything. Eight months later, after hearing nothing from the FBI, John Paul MacIsaac forwards a copy to then-President Trump's advisor, Rudy Giuliani, in August of 2020, who then forwards it to the New York Post in October of 2020, resulting in the Post bombshell story on October 14th. The day before those pu- that publication, the FBI's cybersecurity chief, Agent Elvis Jan, he fires off 10 documents to Twitter's then-head of site integrity, Yoel Roth, via teleporter, which had been a one-way communication channel from the Bureau to Twitter. Chan is the one who would eventually admit, by the way, under oath to those censorship meetings that he had with Twitter. Anyway, following those 10 documents from Chan to Roth, the Hunter Biden laptop story would subsequently be quashed. These people have to be stopped. You may have never heard of it, but C. difficile or C. diff infection is a highly contagious bacterial infection that the U.S. CDC declared a major public health threat, which results in an estimated half a million infections each year. C. diff infection takes hold in the gut microbiome, and debilitating symptoms may include stomach pain, nausea, fever, and severe diarrhea. If you get C. diff infection once, Dr. Dennis Durrell, Executive Director of Hospital Medicine, American Physician Partners, LLC, says there's a good chance it will come back. Up to 35% of people who get a C. diff infection may get it again. This is called a recurrence. After that first recurrence, up to 65% may get C. diff again. Rebiota is the first and only FDA-approved microbiome-based treatment to prevent recurrent C. diff infection after you've taken antibiotics for recurrent C. diff infection. It's a single-dose treatment administered in minutes during one visit to your doctor's office. Talk to your doctor to find out if Rebiota is right for you. To learn more, visit rebyota.com. Rebiota Fecal Microbiota Live JSLM is indicated for the prevention of recurrence of Clostridioides difficile C. diff infection in individuals 18 years of age and older following antibiotic treatment for recurrent C. diff infection. Limitation of use. Rebiota is not indicated for the treatment of C. diff infection. Important safety information. You should not receive Rebiota if you have a history of a severe allergic reaction, e.g. anaphylaxis, to Rebiota or any of its components. You should report to your doctor any infection you think you may have acquired after administration. Rebiota may contain food allergens. Most common side effects may include stomach pain, 8.9%, diarrhea, 7.2%, bloating, 3.9%, gas, 3.3%, and nausea, 3.3%. Rebiota has not been studied in patients below 18 years of age. Clinical studies did not determine if adults 65 years of age and older responded differently than younger adults. You are encouraged to report negative side effects of prescription drugs to FDA. Visit fda.gov forward slash medwatch or call 1-800-332-1088. Please visit rebiota.com for full prescribing information. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country, but unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night, And every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis. For those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach, absolutely delighted you could be with us. Uh, covering a lot of stuff here, of course, um, Democrats, again, are tiresomely beating the same old gun control drum after MSU shooter Anthony McRae's killing spree, despite it being directly attributable to this guy not having been prosecuted for a previous gun violation, thus undercutting the left's useless bromide. I mean, does, do these guys ever learn? Also, when will the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security and State Department going to be held accountable for unconstitutionally censoring American social media dissent. And why do these bozos think that doing it through civilian entities somehow gets them off the hook? If they're not allowed to violate our First Amendment rights directly, they sure as hell can't do it indirectly. Because think about it, any process they would put in place to violate our First Amendment rights would be through emissaries of some sort. They would always have to do it through a procedure or a process. But the existence of a process is not somehow self-validating the very act is self-invalidating anyway assisting in the opining and analyzing we have brian birch president of catholic vote um he's here chatting with us about an fbi memo showing them targeting uh, catholics i remember this story it's ridiculous uh brian good to have you on board how are you today very well great to be with you good to have you good to have you uh yeah i read this uh, with great consternation they were associating uh those who uh, follow a certain kind of Catholicism as being tantamount to more likely uh, practicing uh, white supremacy uh, protocols of one sort or another. Um, and they were never able to tether their assertions to their required foundational uh, merit. Um, give us some more on this, if you can. Sure. Well, this was a, uh, a memo that was leaked. It was leaked by a, uh, a, a truthful agent who has left the Bureau. Um, and he was able to show that a field office of the FBI had produced a memo warning uh, the, the, the Bureau uh, of what he called traditional Catholics. These are Catholics who follow traditional Catholic moral teachings. Some of them prefer the ancient liturgy, for example. Uh, these are Catholics, according to the memo, who hold a hostile positions to LGBT uh, uh, persons. Uh, you would call this, you know, essentially someone who believes what Catholics believe, or at least used to believe, um, most of them um, for that matter. Uh, and, of course, this memo uh, warned that these groups may be prone to uh, extremism uh, and, and racial uh, violence. Of course, there was nothing in the memo that showed that the groups were, were intending to do anything uh, of such. Uh, instead, what it cited is uh, uh, being labeled uh, by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which, of course, is a discredited hate group itself, um, as potentially groups of, of concern. And so really what you have here is the Biden Justice Department creating the pretext to go after not just Catholics, by the way, but anyone who holds to a traditional moral uh, view of, of the family, of human sexuality, and, and of religion, for that matter, and saying these are the types of groups from which um, extremists kind of uh, dialogue and, and potentially, um, um, you know, activities might occur. And again, we continue to learn from Aesop's fables, quote, a tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny, these self-fulfilling um, bromides, these maneuvered self-fulfilling uh, prophecies with catch-22 endings. Uh, the Examiner did a good piece on this one. It said, uh, Catholic League condemns FBI internal memo targeting Catholics. It's by Heather Hunter. Uh, came out a few days ago, uh, February 11th. She writes, uh, Catholic League President Bill Donahue slammed the FBI for targeting Orthodox Catholics as, quote-unquote, radical traditionalist Catholics. A quote, there hasn't been a wave of virulent anti-Catholicism in the West like what we are currently witnessing in at least 100 years, Donahue said in a statement. A whistleblower leaked a report produced by the FBI Richmond Field Office titled Interest of Racially or Ethnically Motivated Violent Extremists in Radical Traditionalist Catholic Ideology Almost Certainly Presents New Mitigation Opportunities. The FBI whistleblower Kyle Serafin, an FBI special agent for six years, revealed that the report analyzed that Catholics who prefer the Latin Mass 
and pre-Vatican II teachings can amount to an adherence to anti-Semitic, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBTQ, and white supremacist ideology, quote-unquote. Again, making assertions while failing to tether those assertions to their required foundational merits. I mean, it's as if we're just looking at assertions which are predicated on nothing more than simply other assertions versus being tethered to any foundational grounds and argument. Isn't that fair to point out? It's entirely fair. And what we're seeing here, and it began, of course, following January 6th and their effort to exploit that, that event, that to disagree with this administration or to hold a political opinion that is opposed to what might be called the mainstream left-wing establishment is now akin to the, uh, the possibility of committing violence. And this line is starting to blur here, and this is, you know, kind of uh, Soviet-style, uh, get with the program or you will be enemy of the state. Yeah, get, and, I know. And, it's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're, they're essentially using the trappings of officialdom to violate the very Constitution from which their powers are derived. And I don't think they realize that the extent to which they undercut that founding document is the degree to which they correspondingly undercut the legitimacy of their own authority. I mean, again, the Constitution is the people's written directive to the very government it created, not the other way around. For instance, right now you've got the State Department funding an organization based out of Britain called the Disinformation, uh, you know, the Global Disinformation Inc. It's based out of uh, UK. And their whole uh, mission is to ostensibly fight misinformation and disinformation. But they're not even sticking to the actual dis- de- definition of misinformation or disinformation. And even if they were, it wouldn't matter because anytime people disagree with one another, they do so because each believes the other to be misinformed or uh, guilty of disinforming others with their misinformation. But that's never been enough to justify the crushing of free speech. But when we look at the Global Disinformation Inc. people, they view disinformation in this fashion, quote, Disinformation is more than overly simple false dichotomies such as true versus false or left versus right. All right, the global defense, uh, the global disinformation index views quote disinformation through the lens of adversarial narrative conflict. So all you have to have is an opposing view, and that in and of itself is enough to qualify it as disinformation. We don't we have to have open discussions online? so we can determine what constitutes misinformation or disinformation. Otherwise, we've got the perfect tool for any schmuck to shut down free speech, yes? That's precisely exactly what's happening and why people more and more are waking up and realizing uh, this is a bridge too far. You, you, you nailed it there. Now we have reframed the entire discussion so that holding, again, uh, uh, differing political opinions can be deemed uh, is now subject to FBI scrutiny. If you if you read this memo, it's it's even more dangerous. What they're suggesting is they have potentially already surveilling religious institutions and may even have in, uh, embedded agents inside of these institutions. This is a blatant violation of our constitution, and you're exactly right to point that out. Brian, if you can, buddy, hang on the line for a, a moment. I want to discuss this a little further, if we can. Folks, we'd love you to stick with us as well. You're listening to the Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Going to be right back. We definitely want to make sure that we don't overfeed our animals because feeding our animals... More is not love. You know, there's so many other ways you can show love, like throwing a ball and walking them and give them a little extra love. The annual end obesity campaign by Hills is wonderful for a guy like me and Dr. Hodges who are practicing veterinarians because it's obesity, like you said, is one of those um, illnesses or conditions that we see most in the veterinary hospital. And it can be very difficult sometimes talking to clients about, you know, their patient being obese, you know. But Heels with their campaign have given us the tool to be able to get this message across. And it's something that they do annually. They've invested a lot of time, a lot of money into the research, into the pet food that we can use to help these animals that are obese. So you can go to NPetObesity.com and you can learn a whole lot more about 
how you can actually use the love test as well as learn more about Hill's pet nutrition and ways to control your pet's weight. This is sponsored by IBM. The 65th Annual Grammy Awards Red Carpet will see the return of one very special guest, IBM Watson's Artificial Intelligence, delivering a data-driven fan experience during the show. Grammy Insights with Watson draws from over 20 million sources to share info about hundreds of Grammy nominees and winners live on screen as they walk the red carpet. Christy Kolsky, IBM Program Director. Music's Biggest Night is loaded with exciting artists and creators. And Grammy Insights with IBM Watson elevates the fan experience by sharing their inspiring stories on screen as they walk the red carpet, as well as on the artist pages on Grammy.com. This year, IBM is also helping the Recording Academy with design, implementation, and management of its member experience on Salesforce, developing world-class personalized journeys for more than 22,000 music professionals around the world. Visit live.grammy.com during the 65th Annual Grammy Awards Red Carpet Livestream on Sunday, February 5th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time to see Grammy Insights with Watson. Know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes... When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM. So can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left-right, black-white, two-dimensional approach. We're focusing right now on when will the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, and State Department be held accountable for unconstitutionally censoring American social media dissent, and why do they think that doing it through civilian entities somehow gets them off the hook? A lot of chilling things going on. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the Washington Examiner, or rather the Washington Examiner has done a marvelous job of reporting on this issue, uh, but also uh, reporting on it has been just the news. Uh, some months ago, they pointed out that uh, that the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department 
have been working with uh, an organization called the Election Integrity Partnership. Um, and this is a group that's a consortium. It's comprised of four member organizations. You've got the Stanford Internet Observatory, the University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, and Grapika, spelled G-R-A-P-H-I-K-A. This is a social media analytics firm. Anyway, um, a conf- this consortium of four private groups have been working with the Departments of Homeland Security and the State Department to censor massive numbers of social media posts that they don't like, that they want to label as misinformation or disinformation. And they did it big time during the 2020 election. And you know what happened afterwards, after the election? Those folks got rewarded with millions of dollars, millions of federal dollars from the Biden administration. Now, I'm sorry, but this, this is something that cannot be permitted. It cannot be permitted. And these people were able to do it by having this concierge set up a system whereby they could submit tickets. That's what they could do. I'm looking here at the Washington Examiner. It set up a concierge-like service in 2020 that allowed federal agencies like Homeland's Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, and State Department's Global Engagement Center to file, quote-unquote, tickets requesting that online story links and social media posts be censored or flagged by big tech. How is this not a cold and sobering direct assault on the First Amendment? We have assisting in the opining and analyzing all friends of the show. Uh, first, let me, uh, well, I want to thank uh, Brian Birch for sticking around. He's president of Catholic Vote. Uh, he was on board chatting with us about the FBI memo showing how they're targeting Catholics, but we also drifted into government censorship. Uh, Brian Birch, appreciate you sticking around. Thanks so much. Great to be back. Also on board, Jeffrey Lord, old friend of the show, one of my regulars, contributing editor to the American Spectator, also a contributor to Newsbusters as well as Conservative Review. He's also a former CNN political commentator. By the way, he was associate political director for President Ronald Reagan and worked for the late housing secretary, Jack Kemp, under President George H.W. Bush. His most recent book is the highly praised work entitled Swap Wars, Donald Trump and the New American Populism versus the Old Order. Jeffrey Lord, appreciate you uh, joining us as well. Thanks so much. Good to be here. Uh, too bad there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, right. We're, we're, we're bereft of topics. Um, let, Jeffrey, let me go to you on this one. This is really chilling. This is not up for debate. It's not a, 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 it's not a, a suspicion. The government's been caught red-handed using intermediaries to block political speech, not to the liking of certain bureaucrats and leaders in government. How is this not a primary archetypal example of government urinating all over our founding document? I ask you, Jeffrey Lord. Man, that is true. I mean, I came across this Washington Examiner stories, and I've written it up. I've also found uh, stuff in the New York Post uh, about this This uh, so-called global disengagement uh, no, global index. Disinformation, disinformation index yeah and this is how they this is how they define misinformation and disinformation quote gdi views disinformation through the lens of adversarial narrative conflict so if it's just adver- if it's an adversarial narrative conflict that in and of itself somehow qualifies it to be called disinformation which somehow now is enough to justify censorship. Since when has misinformation or disinformation ever been enough to justify the violation of the First Amendment? Because when you think about it, everybody who disagrees with one another does so because each believes the other, first, to be misinformed, and secondly, would use that misinformed posture to disinform others. Since when has that concern ever been enough to justify the violation of our First Amendment rights, Jeffrey Lord? Well, that's absolutely right. And, you know, when I looked into this, I found, lo and behold, one of their targets was the American Spectator, where I hang my hat. They had a, they had a list of uh, top ten. Uh, the American Spectator was on the list. People that, uh, you know, put out disinformation and uh, the least reliable or whatever they said. And then their top ten list of people who don't do it <laughs> began with NPR. And the New York Times was number three. The Washington Post was on there. 
you know, they're all fine. There is no bias or anything. They had a whole section on the spectator uh, describing us and saying what a terrible influence we were and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this boggles the mind, and it's bad enough. But when you realize that the U.S. State Department, as you mentioned, is is using American taxpayer dollars to do this and to defund American conservative media, that's a pretty serious problem. Brian Birch, uh, again, the left's manipulation tactic seems to be to use the secondary measures of what they deem to be allegedly more important morals to supplant the primary measure of our right to choose for ourselves that which we prefer. And as I mentioned before, by such a crazy formula, manipulative authoritarians could always find a way to remove our free will or justify the removal of our free will, because after all, it's all in the name of some greater laudable goal. Isn't that fair to point out? It absolutely is. And it's very interesting here because we can talk about this at several levels. There's the political question. There's the constitutional question. There's the question of our rights. Right. But what they're really saying, if you really to go deep here, is to say, if we allow people to utter certain thoughts, to share certain ideas, to debate various policy questions and questions about our government, that, that people are too stupid, too manipulatable, uh, are, are too incapable of deciding for ourselves what's best and, and comparing and contrasting ideas. You know, we, we've lost this sense, frankly, of the last of 40 years ago where they, they were preaching, um, you know, more diversity, more ideas, more space to debate and to exercise these rights. Now that they've got the power, they're trying to shrink it as much as possible. And there's a famous Supreme Court case, the answer to uncomfortable speech is more speech, and it's exactly what we need here. Oh, precisely the case. Jeffrey Lord, this uh, House uh, Subcommittee on Weaponization, you've heard of them, headed by Jim Jordan. He's also the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. They're investigating the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story. They're investigating uh, the DOJ and FBI and State Department targeting of uh, speech that goes against the the left's narratives, uh, especially the DOJ and FBI targeting of parents for opposing the racist critical race theory uh, being taught at school, uh, and and of course, um, uh, the, you know, also targeting of parents for opposing um, at school board meetings uh, the teachings of CRT, and as well, of course, the fabricating of evidence that originated uh, the Trump uh, Russia collusion probe. I mean. You know, fortunately, we've been lately having witnesses like former special FBI agent Nicole Parker pointing out that she had to leave the FBI uh, because of the FBI's behavior as of late and becoming so politicized. And I understand there's actually even more FBI agents in the wings um, ready to testify about these shenanigans. But what I'm concerned about is what happens when these bad faith actions uh, executed by our government Again, happening under the trappings of officialdom. What happens when they seem to outpace our judiciary's ability to correct them? Because these are all going to get batted down, but will they get batted down fast enough to stop them from continuing? Well, that's a a concern. And I think there's so much going on here. I heard uh, Congressman Jim Jordan say the other day that never in the entire time that he had been in Congress had he seen so many whistleblowers, in this case from the FBI, come forward with information about misdoings in the uh, in, inside the FBI? Uh, you know, I think this is overwhelming people to some degree with the amount of information that we are now finding out that's flowing out there. And it covers this whole broad spectrum. I mean, the use of the government uh, to to, you know, have Twitter and big tech do what the government wants it to do whether it's uh, this business of this global uh, disinformation index, uh, on and on and on and on this stuff goes. I mean, this is, this is getting increasingly more difficult for everybody to keep up with, but keep up with it, we must. Oh, my God, without a doubt. Brian Birch, you know, I've, I've, written, I've said this before and I've never been arrested. You know, we may only constitutionally revolt against government, you know, using the Second Amendment option, when that government has disconnected itself from the very laws it requires the rest of us to follow, while also becoming immune to its own normal checks and bounces, a thing which equals tyranny. Are we getting close to that point, Brian Birch? Well, we've been close to it throughout our history, and the best protection from that 
is a robust populist willing to engage ideas in a government that will protect our ability to do so. Yes, but if the government is busy censoring all those things that would bring about its own accountability, what do we do then? Stick with us. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in the U.S. for men and women and continues to increase. Due to the often invisible risk factors, one in five heart attacks occur with no recognizable signs or warning. With the sports season heating up, heart attack risk can more than double when your favorite team is playing. February is American Heart Month, and Hall of Fame tight end Tony Gonzalez shares how fans and non-fans alike can assess their risk factors and prioritize their health. Awareness is key. We're re-encouraging all sports fans to learn about their personal heart risk factors as their favorite sports season heats up so they can keep their hearts in the game. Bear Aspirin has partnered with digital health company Huma to develop the Bear Aspirin Heart Risk Assessment Tool. The tool quickly assesses an individual's personal risk of developing cardiovascular disease over the next 10 years so that they can discuss their heart health risk factors with a healthcare professional as part of an ongoing health management. Learn more and assess your risk factors at checkyourheartrisks.com. Hi there, it's Joe Montana. Life after football has been full of taking my shot at new things. Now I'm working with Pfizer to tell you about pneumococcal pneumonia. Pneumococcal pneumonia should be the last thing standing in your way. Pneumococcal pneumonia is a potentially serious bacterial lung disease that can strike any time of year. It can disrupt your life for weeks, and in severe cases, it can put you in the hospital and even be life-threatening. And Joe knows that vaccination is one of the best ways to help protect himself from pneumococcal pneumonia. If you're 65 or older or 19 or older with certain underlying medical conditions like asthma, COPD, chronic heart disease, or diabetes, talk to your doctor or pharmacist about the risk of pneumococcal pneumonia and whether vaccination is right for you. Understand your risk at knowpneumonia.com. That's K-N-O-W pneumonia.com. This is your shot. This message is brought to you by Pfizer. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner. Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat. Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time Ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches. 
all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Evieras Allen, Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left-right, black-white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. Uh, covering when will the FBI and Department of Homeland Security and State Department be held accountable for unconstitutionally censoring American social media dissent? And why do they think that doing it through civilian entities get them off the hook? Assisting in the opining and analyzing, we have old friend of the show, Jeffrey Lord, contributing editor to the American Spectator, contributor to Newsbusters, as well as Conservative Review. He's also a former CNN political commentator and additionally was uh, an associate political director for President Ronald Reagan and worked for Housing Secretary Jack Kemp under President George H.W. Bush's most recent book. is the highly praised work entitled Swap Wars, Donald Trump and the New American Populism versus the Old Order. Uh, Jeffrey Lord, appreciate you sticking around. Thanks so much. You bet. Glad to be here. Uh, we live in interesting times, as the old Chinese curse <laughs> goes. <laughs> no, no, you're correct on that. And one of the most uh, unfortunately interesting ones, if you will, is uh, today's reality of of the government proactively censoring us. Um, I pointed out that we have right now the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department uh, busily censoring us through a civilian concierge known as the Election Integrity Partnership. Uh, it's basically a consortium, if you will. It's comprised of four organizations, the Stanford Internet Observatory, SIO, the University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, patronizingly titled. Then you also have the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensic Research Lab, and then Grapika, uh, which is a social media analytics firm. And these guys are all corralled under the Election Integrity Partnership. And what they do is they allow federal agencies like uh, CISA, which is with Homeland Security, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, as well as the State Department's Global Engagement Center, they allow them to file tickets with them requesting that online story links and social media posts be censored or flagged by big tech when these stories are not to their liking. Now, look, government has a right to, you know, push its own messaging all at once, but what government doesn't have the right is to stop the messaging of the private sector responding to those messages. Where am I mistaken? You aren't mistaken. And I'll tell you, on what I think is really going on here, a number of years ago, back in 2010, uh, uh, he's now deceased, but Angelo Codvia, he was a professor of uh, emeritus of international relations at Boston University, mm-hmm. wrote a long article for the American Spectator about the ruling class, which uh, Rush Limbaugh saw, loved, read extensively on air, and Angelo expanded into a book, The Ruling Class, How It Corrupted America and What We Can Do About It, in which he said there's about 10% of this country stretching from Atlanta to Seattle. They all sort of think the same. It could be bipartisan. They all think the same they all want the same thing. They, they socialize the same. They have the same kind of education and all that kind of stuff. And they think of themselves as the ruling class versus the country class, 90% of the country that gets up every day to go and work and, you know, take care of their families. My point is this ruling class mentality is all over the place at this point. It's all over the government, the bureaucracies, the think tanks, academia, etc. And so this is what you get ultimately is that you get all these people who think the same. They don't even know one another necessarily. And yet they are going to determine what the rest of us can see or not see or read or not read. Uh, on and on and on goes this, this business. And it's, it's getting to be very, very dangerous. I mean, thank goodness for the GOP and the House and the, this weaponization committee, because I think that's a real thing in terms of the government. No, it is. And again, for people just joining us, this House Subcommittee on Weaponization, it's investigating, uh, uh, you know, the DOJ and FBI targeting of parents for opposing CRT at school board meetings. And also uh, they're investigating the fabricating of evidence that really gave rise to the Trump-Russia collusion probe. And of course, they're uh, investigating the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story. 
And it, it, it just seems to me that there has got to be some consequences visited on these people who are doing it. Otherwise, we have a scenario in which government gets to put forward bad faith laws or bad faith uh, executive orders, uh, realizing in advance that they are in violation of the Constitution, but taking advantage of the fact that uh, they might be able to uh, have a, a certain amount of time where they get away with it before they're slapped down by the courts, which which triggers my question, what do we do about those instances wherein you have damage done by these bad faith pieces of legislation or bad faith um, uh, executive orders, which can sometimes outpace the judiciary's corrective response to them? What do we do in those instances, Jeffrey Lord? Yeah, that, that is a perpetual problem, I think. And uh, when you've got all these woke bureaucrats uh, you know, running the government. And I don't just mean a handful of people in the White House and the Biden White House. I mean, you know, some career guy that's uh, been in the Department of Homeland Security for 20 years. Uh, these are the kind of people we've got to deal with. And we are. This is a constant fight, and it is going to have to involve the judiciary. And I'll tell you, the red flag there is I just saw that uh, Joe Biden had passed the 100 mark in terms of putting people on the federal bench. Well, you know, I think it's a fairly safe bet that a lot of these people think exactly the way we're talking about here, and they're now on the judiciary. That's a problem in and of itself. Well, then, Jeffrey Lord, I, gotta, I, I hate to sound bellicose, but then I have to bring up what I, I bring up at least once in my show, um, at least once in every show. And again, I've never been arrested for it. I point out that we can only constitutionally revolt against government, and this, of course, would be the Second Amendment option. But the only time people can revolt against government is when that government's caught red-handed rebelling against its people. And that happens when government has disconnected itself from the very laws it requires the rest of us to follow and is doing so um, while becoming immune to its own normal checks and balances that would restrain it. When that happens, that equals tyranny. Now, are we approaching that point? Are we getting to the point where the people might have to act? Well, I think we're getting a lot closer than I would have originally thought a few years ago. Uh, I do think this is a massive problem, and I think it's getting worse by the day, sometimes by the hour. And, uh, you know, people are only going to take this for so long. Uh, and this this is a very, very big problem, I think, Alan. And what how, how this will end, I couldn't possibly tell you. Well, the Second Amendment exists for a purpose. And it's there to give leverage to the First Amendment, because without the First Amendment, we can't object to those other uh, times when the government violates our other protections in that same Bill of Rights. I mean, if we don't have if the, <laughs> the extent to which a government can censor you is the degree to which government can oppress you, because, again, it's practice of the first means we can't object to the second. Can we, Jeffrey Lord? That's right. <laughs> that is correct. I mean, I, there's no that's an unimpregnable observation and argument. And I don't see how government can get away from it. So government, watch your collective ass. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, Main Street Radio Network. Network.com.